0: Let me begin this morning by saying to you that while you are sitting here today in these pews and while you are at home watching this service online, even though it feels like you are sitting still, there is activity of miraculous proportions taking place. Right now, the earth is spinning around its axis at an equatorial speed of 1,040 miles per hour we are also speeding through space at the average velocity of 67,108 miles per hour. That's not just faster than a speeding bullet, it is 80 times, 87 times faster than the speed of sound. So on any given day, if you feel like you didn't accomplish anything, I wanna remind you that you traveled one and a half million miles through space. And on top of all of that, the Milky Way galaxy is spinning like a top at the mind-boggling rate of 483,000 miles per hour. If that isn't miraculous, then I don't know what is. And yet, when was the last time that you thank God for keeping us in orbit? At the end of the day, I'm pretty sure you've never prayed, Lord, I wasn't sure we were going to make that final rotation, but we did. You did it again. Yay, God. But Let me tell you why you should thank God. Because far too often, we take the supernatural activity that goes on in this world for granted. And that includes the miracles. And so this morning to connect you with what I shared with you last week about too many Christians playing it safe and just simply biding our time until Jesus comes, combined with my strong belief that God wants to do something extraordinary in your life and within this church called High Point Assembly in Red Bluff, California, and adding to that the undeniable truth that with God all things are possible, God has led me this week to present a series where we will look intentionally at five miracles that Jesus performed as a way to build our own faith for what God can do for us and through us and to prepare us for those moments when God will make things that in our very own minds seem impossible to be possible for us. I'm titling this series, Miraculous. And what's interesting is all of these five miracles we are going to cover are found in John's gospel, which as you'll recall, we spent a good portion of last fall and a good portion of the spring studying. But we are going to look at these miracles more intently and see what we can learn from each and every one of them. And here's the whole purpose for me wanting to do this series. We already believe God for big miracles, so why not start trusting him for the little ones? You see, there are miracles going on all around us, all the time, and so to me, that seems like a great place for us to start. And you don't even have to look through a telescope out into outer space to see them. You can simply look through a microscope. Trillions of chemical reactions are taking place in your body every second of every day, of every week, of every year. You are inhaling oxygen. You are metabolizing energy. You are managing equilibrium. And when you think about it, it's pretty incredible considering how fast we're spinning and moving through space. You are manufacturing hormones. You are fighting antigens and filtering stimuli. You are mending tissue, purifying toxins, digesting food and circulating blood. Today, your heart will beat 100,000 times, pumping and circulating six quarts of blood through more than 60,000 miles of arteries and veins and capillaries. If you laid them end to end, they say it would circle the earth, two and a half times. So what's so funny about this factual information that I am sharing with you is that many people will say, I've never experienced a miracle before. When in fact, you, my friend, you are a miracle. If your personal genome sequence was written out in longhand, it would fill a three billion word book. To give you some perspective, the King James version of the Bible has over 783,000 words. So your genetic code is equivalent to about 4,000 Bibles. If you were an audiobook and you were to read one double helix per second, it would take a century to put you into words. Never has there been, never will there be anyone else like you. And that's not a testament to you. That's a testament to the God who created you, because you are a miracle. Albert Einstein said, there are two ways to live your life. One is if nothing is a miracle. The other is as if everything is a miracle. So let's, that, let's allow that to be our, our starting point today. And then let's see where God takes us in all this. Oliver Wendell Holmes once said, a mind stretched by a new idea never returns to its original shape. And I think that that's what God wants to do through us during this series. I believe that he wants to stretch our faith. I know people whose faith is shrinking, but what God wants to do is he wants to take your faith and he wants to take my faith and he wants to stretch it. You see, I believe that God loves to do miracles. It's who he is, it's, it's what he does. And when he does a miracle, the way that you then steward that miracle is by believing God for bigger and better things. And eventually, if you keep at that mindset and that attitude long enough, all things become possible and nothing is impossible. And did you know the Bible puts it both ways? It says, all things are possible. And another verse says, and nothing is impossible. And whenever the Bible says something in two different ways, it is making sure that we don't become double-minded on that subject. You see, the moment Jesus walked out of the tomb, the word impossible was removed from our vocabulary. He is the God who makes the impossible possible. And so we should be a people of possibility. We should be the kind of people that believe that there is nothing that God cannot do. And by the end of this series, wouldn't it be wonderful if the Lord would remove some of our assumptions? How those assumptions get us in so much trouble? I'm talking about every assumption, except of course the one that God is able. And God is not just able. But as the scriptures say, he is able to do immeasurably more than anything we can ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. But here's a word of caution as we begin this series. I believe God wants to do some miracles. There's absolutely no doubt about it. Miracles are not just past tense facts of history that we read about in the scriptures. Every miracle is a microcosm. It it is a picture of what God wants to do in your life in present tense. But understand, this is not a series about miracles. This is a series about the only one who can perform these miracles. My advice to you is let's not seek miracles, let's seek Jesus. Amen. Because when we seek, when we diligently seek Jesus, what's going to happen is you'll find yourself in the middle of some miracles because he he is miraculous in all that he does. But here's something we've also got to remember. For nearly 30 years, while Jesus walked this earth, it, it took first 30 years for the wonders and the miraculous to even occur, Jesus, the very one who crafted the universe with his voice also crafted furniture with his hands. There were no wobbly tables that ever came out of Jesus' carpenter's shop in Nazareth. He was good at what he did, but he wasn't just a master carpenter. He was God in the flesh. And that has to rank up there as history's best kept secret. I mean, for 30 years, how do you keep secret of your ability to do these kinds of miracles? Well, that changed, that all changed the day that Jesus the woodbender became the waterbender. It was when he mutated the molecular structure of water and he turned it into wine. And not just wine, but fine wine. And not just a little wine, but the equivalent of 757 bottles of wine. You see, there are 34 distinct miracles recorded in the Gospels. John's Gospel highlights seven of those miracles, with each of them unveiling a different dimension of Jesus' miraculous power. And we're not going to do all seven in this series, but we are going to look at five of them. In fact, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to John chapter two in preparation for where we're going with this because it all starts in John chapter two where just like every atom in the universe, the water atoms submitted to Jesus' authority. Then in John chapter four, Jesus heals the nobleman's son long distance and in doing so, Jesus reveals himself as the Lord of longitude and latitude. Then in John chapter five, Jesus reveals his mastery over chronology when he reverses 38 years of pain and suffering with one powerful command. And then in John chapter six, Jesus introduces us to a new miraculous mathematical equation. Five plus two doesn't equal seven, it equals 5,000. And then in the same chapter, Jesus' encore is walking across the waves on the Sea of Galilee. And then in John chapter 9, Jesus doesn't just heal a blind man. He heals a blind man who was blind since his birth. This means that there was no synaptic connection between the optic nerve and the visual cortex of his brain. And then in John chapter 11, Jesus brings a man back from the dead, days after his funeral. Jesus took back what the enemy had stolen. These are all examples of what Jesus has done, and who he is, and it's what he wants to do in all of our lives. And so turn in your Bibles to John chapter two, where we're gonna look at this first miracle in the gospels. I'll be reading from the New International Version, John chapter two, verses one through 11. The scriptures say on the third day, a wedding took place in Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Let's talk just a little bit about this story we read. Jesus and his disciples are at a wedding reception and they run out of wine. Now this might not seem like a big deal to you or to me, but in this culture, it would, it would have been more than embarrassing. It would have been a public shame. It would have turned a very big day into a very bad day. I mean, what day do you want things to go right of all days? Your wedding day, right? So when you think about it, this, this, this problem that seems small to us was probably the first argument that this newly married couple had. And I can just kind of hear the conversation going on in my mind. The bride saying, babe, I planned this entire wedding and I only asked you to do one thing. You had one job to do (laughs) one stock the beverages. That's it. I gave you the guest list. I gave you the wine list. That's all you had to do. Well, then Jesus enters, and here's what I love about this particular miracle. This is not about saving a life. This miracle is about saving face. Isn't that great? We have a God who is great because he doesn't just care about the big things in our lives. He cares about the little things. He cares about the details. He cares about the nuances. He cares about the minutia of our lives. Don't ever forget that. If it is a big deal to you, it's a big deal to God. Isn't that just like a loving father? You know, in the Bible, there are story after story of moments when God exhibits his tender mercies and his faithful care for his children. The fact that he knows the number of hairs on your head makes us realize that God will show up in a way that says, I understand. And I do think that this is definitely one of those moments. There are a lot of subplots in this story. We're not gonna get into all of them. But one is when Jesus tells the servants to fill those six jars with water. Now, if I were one of those servants, as cynical as I am, my reaction would be, well, we're not out of water, man, we're out of wine. And often the deal is that our encounters with God In our encounters with God, not everything makes sense to us. So we hesitate. But what I love here is that the language is so precise. They didn't just take the waters and the the, the, uh, jugs and fill them, it says they filled them to the brim. Now I want you to try to imagine how heavy these pottery jars that were already heavy would weigh, filled with 20 or 30 gallons of water. And let me just share something with you that I really believe. If you do the little things like they are big things, then I believe that God will come along and do the big things like they're the little things. One of the things that you are going to see in this series is sometimes we have to do the natural so that God can do the supernatural. Supernatural. We never know when or how or or where God is gonna show up, and that's what I love about this story. On the surface, uh, this seems perhaps to be the least significant of all of his miracles, but it shows me that he is the God who shows up when we run out. I think it's safe to say that in a crowd this size, There are some of you here today who are watching online and you're running on empty. You've run out of strength. You've run out of wisdom. You know, there are times when we run out of friends and we run out of money and we run out of hope. Well, Jesus is not just a God who will turn water into wine. He is a God who can turn our fear into faith. He can turn our sadness into joy. He can turn anything he wants into anything he wants, and that's the point. You have to start right there. And I wanna just elaborate on this miracle a little bit more. Before we talk about Jesus turning water into wine, let's first talk about water. It's two parts hydrogen and one part oxygen. It is the most basic chemical compound found on the face of the earth, and yet it is the most vital. Did you know that water covers 71% of our planet and it comprises 60% of your and my body? Water has absolutely no caloric value, yet it it is essentially vital to our metabolism. And you won't last more than two or three days without water. It's flavorless. And yet, can I have a witness? Nothing tastes better on a hot summer day. Water is a universal solvent and it is foundational to the, to the photosynthesis process. It puts out fires, thank God for us in Northern California. And honestly, what else would you wanna swim in? I think I'll swim in gravy. So when was the last time that you thanked God for the miracle of water. This raw material for Jesus' first miracle was water, the most basic compound on the planet. And I believe that this is significant. It's a profound reminder that Jesus doesn't need much to work with at all. The truth is he doesn't need anything at all. He is the God who can turn nothing into something and he can do it in three seconds what it wouldn't have normally taken three years to do. Now, I suppose Jesus could have started with the grapes if he wanted to, and it still would have been an amazing miracle. Hear me out. By by starting with water, Jesus demonstrates his ability to take the simplest element on earth and turn it into something beautiful, turn it into something flavorful. And if God can do that with water, ladies and gentlemen, I want you to think about what he can do with your life. The God who spoke every atom into existence can do anything. And in my lifetime, I've seen God do some amazing things. I've seen people healed of incurable diseases. I have seen complete reversals in bad situations that individuals were trapped in. And yet there have been times when I was greatly disappointed because some miracles didn't happen. And I'm just keeping it real with you this morning because it's important for you to understand where I'm coming from. You see, I believe in the miracle of medicine. I am grateful for surgeons and I am grateful for medicines that help to cure us. But I'm also grateful that God created our bodies to heal themselves, that our blood can clot and that our broken bones can mend all of that is miraculous so let's call it for what it is it's all a miracle you see there are times when god will step in and step over the very laws of nature that that he issued that he created he made the rules and he can certainly break the rules whenever he wants and i don't always get the when how or why but here is something that i know for sure we are headed toward a moment in human history when there will be no more sickness and there will be no more death and there will be no more sorrow and there will be no more pain. When we get to heaven, when we cross that space-time continuum that God created, we will enter into a place of peace and complete healing and it will be miraculous. And those we know who have suffered from Alzheimer's and dementia, they will have their memories restored. And what a beautiful moment that will be. And those who we know who have lost limbs will be made whole again. What an incredible moment. And those who have lost their ability to walk, they will not just walk, but they'll run like an Olympic sprinter. And that will be a sight for all of us to behold. But here's something I want to suggest to you. When we pray that prayer that says, uh, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, I'm not certain we fully understand what it is that we're praying. We are in fact praying for heaven to invade earth. We are praying for the reality of heaven. That's God's goodness. That's God's, good, God's greatness. That is his love and his mercy and his grace and his power and his joy and his peace. It's all of those things who make him who he is. We're praying, God, let them come and invade our reality right here and right now. And when he does, we are always left speechless, and we are always left in awe of his awesome power. So back to our story. The master of ceremonies put it this way to the bridegroom in John 2.10. Everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink, but you have saved the best till now. See, Jesus didn't just save the day. He made the day, and that's what he does. And Jesus didn't just turn the water into wine, he turned it into fine wine, and not just one bottle, but the equivalent of 757 bottles. That is a veritable vineyard. We're told it takes about two to four pounds of grapes to make one bottle of wine. So when Jesus produced the wine at this wedding feast, it would have taken nearly two tons of grapes. Where did they come from? How did he do that? I think that's the point. It's a miracle. There are hundreds of chemical compounds found in red wine. So to say that Jesus turned H2O into C2H508 via the fermentation formula would be a gross oversimplification. This miracle involved over 100 chemical reactions, the most basic of which is glycosis. And I don't have the time to read that equation to you, but the precise mechanism that that Jesus used to turn water into wine is a mystery. And again, that's what makes it a miracle. But here's the whole point. I think what Jesus was saying here is, you just watch my mastery at the molecular level. He is the catalyst for every transformation that takes place because all things were created by him. In fact, John 1, 3 says this, through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. So you must realize it is all from him and it is all for him. And so therefore, we need a fresh revelation of his creative authority so that we will have a lot more faith in order to believe in him for what we perceive in our human mentality as the impossible. I want you to stick with me because I know I'm throwing a lot of numbers at you and the science geeks are having the time of their life this morning but you, the rest of you, hang with me. At last count, there are 10 to the 82nd power of atoms in the observable universe. And every single one traces its origin back to the words that Jesus spoke at the beginning of creation when he said, let there be light. And God created them And I would suggest to you that God controls them all. I wish I had the time to talk about the Doppler effect, but I don't. But understand that those four words that Jesus spoke, let there be light, there are still galaxies in the outer edges of the universe being created from those words that he spoke. See, God's word never returns void. It is powerful and it never ends. Galaxies are being created right now beyond our ability to even see them based upon this command of Christ Jesus. That's how powerful his word is. And he, he creates it all and he controls it all. Any cells, any atoms, and, and he, 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 and he, he can multiply all of them, he can heal them or he can curse them. He can restore someone's withered hand and at the same time he can, he can curse a healthy fig tree as he did in the Bible. It's his call because it's his creation. A Dutch theologian and former prime minister of the Netherlands once said these profound words, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry mine. I think I would substitute one little phrase within that saying, instead of one square inch, how about using the term subatomic particle? There is not one subatomic particle in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ who is sovereign over all does not cry mine. Let's bring it a little bit closer to home. Your body is pretty basic compared to that. 90% of your body, 99%, excuse me, of your body consists of just six different kinds of atoms. But the amazing thing is, there are over seven octillion atoms in your body. We are told that seven times ten to the twenty-seventh power. And every single one of those atoms is subject to the authority of the Creator God. Every atom in the universe is subject to the God who created it. He made the laws of nature and He could break the laws of nature. And here's, here's my prayer for all of you this morning. I don't want you to just seek miracles. I want you to seek the miraculous Lord. Seek Jesus first find out who he is, discover what he is capable of. If I asked you all to close your eyes this morning and try to envision Jesus, I'm sure that there would be numerous images that might pop into your mind. Perhaps some of you might draw that picture that you've seen of Jesus standing at the door and knocking Whereas others of you might be thinking of that painting where Jesus has the sheep over his neck and on his shoulders, because both of those things are paintings that we've seen for years. And we tend to think about Jesus when we see them. But I think for most people, the, the, the perfect picture that would come to our mind would be Jesus nailed up on that cross with his arms spread out with love and forgiveness. That is a sacred and that is a precious image for every one of us. There's nothing more near and dear to our faith. But I just want to remind you of something this morning. That's not where Jesus is. He's no longer on that cross. The only thing that's hanging on that cross is the sins that you and I have forgiven, have been forgiven of. If you want to know where Jesus is, he is seated at the right hand of the Father on a throne. And the Bible says that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is the Lord of all and he has ultimate authority. And here's something that I know for sure. We will all encounter situations and problems in our life. And we all have dreams that seem far over our head, but I want you to understand as lofty as those dreams may be, they are under God's feet, they are under his rule, and they are under his authority. And here's what's interesting. Everyone wants a miracle, but no one wants to be in a situation that necessitates one. So let's make sure that we read this story right. Without the problem, there is no miracle, and sometimes that's just how God chooses to do it. I mean, if these newlyweds don't run out of wine, there is no possibility for this miracle to happen. A.W. Tozer said, a low view of God is the cause of 100 lesser evils, and a high view of God is the solution to 10,000 temporal problems. I think God has millions and millions of solutions for your problems and for my problems. And if we can learn to submit to His authority in our lives, we will see Him do some unbelievably extraordinary things. So Jesus' first miracle is turning this water into wine in John chapter two. And this miracle, it foreshadows a miracle at the very end of his earthly life, right before the crucifixion at the last supper. Jesus is sitting around with his disciples having a meal. The disciples are oblivious that it is the last supper. They think it's just another meal that they are having together, but, but Jesus does it again. And this is so powerful, and I, and I want you to really get this. Jesus takes the cup of wine and he says to them, this is my blood. The same God... Who turned water into wine takes a cup of wine and he says, this is my blood, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sin. The one who turned water into wine turns an ordinary cup of wine into a bottomless chalice of grace." He transforms the fruit of the vine into an agent of forgiveness to atone for every sin ever committed from Adam all the way to the apocalypse. And we can drink his cup of blessing because Jesus drank the cup of wrath on our behalf. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the greatest miracle of all. The miracle of a loving heavenly father who sent his sinless son to die for creation so that we could be in a relationship with God the Father. So understand in the, in, in the spirit of authority, God doesn't just own you once, he owns you twice. Once by virtue of creation, twice by virtue of redemption. But here's, here's the beautiful thing about this that I don't want you to miss. When you surrender your life over to the lordship of Jesus Christ, you come under his dominion. You come into his kingdom. You become his child. You become his heir. And every spiritual blessing is yours in Christ Jesus. All of the heavenly blessings, all of the inheritance is yours. If we could just understand a fraction of this, it would change our lives and how we live it forever. So as we go through this series, when I say to you, let's not seek miracles, but let's instead seek the one who can perform them, what I'm really asking you is, how deep is your relationship with Christ? How much trust is there? How much faith is there? how much knowledge and understanding of who he is, is there. You see, I believe the more that you know him, the more he does in your life. He gives you more, greater revelation. He gives you more strength, more resolve, more power, more joy, more fruit is produced within your life. Is it possible that the impossible in your life can be fulfilled by the one who created you? Is it possible that when you give God full access to your life, that your life can be some, become something extraordinary? Is it possible that when you focus on the one who gave you life once through creation, and now a second time through being born again, that you can now fully experience the abundant life that he talks about throughout the scriptures? Is it possible that Jesus, who performed all these miracles, can perform a miracle in your life and in my life, that he can make the impossible, or at least what seems impossible to us to be a reality. I believe that the answer to all those questions is yes. Not only can he, but I believe in my heart of hearts that he desires to do so. And if we would simply humble ourselves before God, and we would declare his sovereignty over our lives and declare his authority as if we could declare anything else, God would do amazing things in us and through us. What I'm trying to say is, how foolish for us to believe anything other than God, who with four words spoke the entire universe into existence. The God who can turn water into wine. The God who can take the sin of our life and forgive it. The God who can take the sickness in our body and heal it. The God who can take those broken places in us and bring wholeness. To believe that he's not able, we might as well just give up the game right now. But he is able. He is fully able to do all of these things. So the question is, will you trust him? And will you obey him? Will you draw close to him so he can draw close to you? Will you allow him to stretch your faith? Start believing that he can turn your impossible into possible. When you do, you'll see him working in spectacular and unexplainable ways. This is the life of faith in Christ Jesus, ladies and gentlemen. This is the reality of our trust and our belief in him. He turned the water into wine. So what does he want to do in your life today? Scott, will you please come forward? I'd like to ask all of you to stand to your feet. See, I believe that the greatest miracle of all is a life that has been changed by Christ Jesus. I know of so many people who, as the Bible says, are a new creation. I'm looking at hundreds of them right now. You are changed. You have a new outlook. You have a new approach to life. You have a fresh understanding of what you actually exist for, and that is to serve the Lord. That is to serve the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You see, eventually we will come to the realization that without Christ, Life really isn't worth living. It isn't fun. Life is boring, it's unfulfilling, it is empty, it is void of any true happiness. The Bible tells us that we were born with eternity in our hearts. What that means is we know that there is something better. There is something more than what we are currently experiencing. We know that there is a a God in heaven who created it all, and he is the God who wants to have a personal relationship with us. So he sent his son and his mission was clear. His mission was to come and to live a sinless life and to teach us how to live godly lives. He came to bear our sins by dying an agonizing death on the cross and to take those sins away. But then he resurrected three days later, having conquered death in the grave and established a pathway for us to have a relationship with our heavenly father. Jesus wants to perform other miracles here today. He wants to bring salvation to those who are here and who are watching online who are lost. He wants to give life to new life to someone who feels like perhaps life has failed them. He wants to give someone a new purpose. He wants to give someone new meaning to their life. And if you don't have a relationship with Jesus today, he is giving you that opportunity. The Bible says in order to, be, to receive salvation, in order to be saved, you must simply believe and confess. You must believe that Jesus came to this earth and he lived a sinless life and he died on the cross, but he rose again so that you could be saved. And simply confess that to God. Tell him you believe that, ask him to forgive you of your sin and, and the Bible says you will be cleansed of all unrighteousness, you'll be saved. In a moment, like we do most every week, we're gonna open this altar. You can come down and you can pray and you can receive salvation. Or for that matter, you can do it from your seat. But I wanna talk a moment to those who have already received salvation. You've already accepted Jesus as Lord because there are Christians here today who need God to open their eyes to the understanding of exactly who he is. What I mean is you've, you've received salvation but you have a hard time believing that the abundant life that he has promised you after you are saved cannot really be yours. When trouble comes your way, you don't approach God about it because you don't think he wants to be bothered by those little things in your life. What I'm saying is that many have marginalized Jesus. We have shrunken him and put him into a little box. And we have have limited his ability to act in our lives because we have become the barrier to that activity. And because of that, he can't fully work within you because you become the obstacle, you become the bottleneck. And it's all happened through a lack of faith and thinking that he doesn't simply care about your daily burdens and your daily struggles and your daily challenges. If we've seen anything through this first miracle that Jesus performed, it's how small in the grand scheme of things this issue that we read about really was. I mean, it had no important ramifications for anyone else other than the bride and the groom and their families. And that should go to show you, as I said earlier, that Jesus cares about every issue in your life. And he has a desire to help those who cry out to him in faith. Well, in a moment, you can come to this altar. You can ask God to open your eyes and to give you a fresh and a a new revelation of who he is and how he can work in and through you. There are others here this morning and you're holding a grudge against God. Someone you love died Some prayer that you prayed about didn't get answered. You were overlooked at the promotion that you wanted so badly at the job and you're thinking to yourself, well, if God wouldn't do that for me, then how can I possibly believe him for the impossible in my life? Can I just say something? There will come a day when all of us will understand everything that has or has not happened in our life, but it's not gonna happen on this side of eternity. It will happen when you arrive into your heavenly home and they will just rush over you and you will understand everything in a split second. You see, God has a purpose and a reason for everything he does. I believe that with all my heart. We can't always see it. We don't always understand it. But nonetheless, there is still a reason. Perhaps God is saving you from something bad. Maybe your loved one died in order that others would come to know Jesus through grieving over your loved one who died. The Bible tells us that God knows the beginning from the end. That means that he knows everything in between. So you've got to trust him. He cannot work in your life if you are holding an offense towards him or truly holding an offense towards anyone else. And you need to come to this altar today And you need to ask God to forgive you for holding a grudge against him and allow him and invite him back to be active in your life. Maybe you're here today and you need a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit, you can come to this altar and receive it. Of course, if you're here today with any kind of a need, a physical need, a a spiritual need, a relational need, a financial need, whatever it is, emotional need, come to this altar, lay it at the foot of the cross, bring it to the only one who has the ability to help you. While the worship team sings, this altar is open to any kind of a need. Anything you wanna talk to God about, come here. Allow God to stretch your faith. Allow him to start helping you, allowing you to believe that in all things he is able. We take that mindset, we will start to see miraculous things happening in our individual lives and we will see Him happening here within this church. All the worship team sings. Let's come forward. Let's spend some time at the altar. Allow us to pray for you.
1: You give life. You are love. You bring light. To the darkness you give hope, you restore every heart. Oh yeah. Boom. Oh.
0: I believe we are at a critical point in history we are at a critical point in this church we are at a critical point as men and women of God and for the next four weeks we are going to talk about these miracles to try to open our hearts to what God truly wants to do God is a God of invitation He will only come when you invite Him think sometimes we sit back and we believe, well, God, you know, just do it. We need to ask him. We need to seek him with all that we are to see these things happen in our life. And I truly believe that, you know, for seven years, I've been praying with pastors in this community that God would bring revival to this community, you know, and, and, and only God can bring revival, but, you know, we tend to think of revival as just God moving in a mighty way. And people I wanna know more about God and busting down the doors of the church. And that's that's not typically the way it works. It works through us. We were talking at a board meeting the other night about outreach and I said, you know, outreach is an interesting word because outreach can be done in a lot of different ways. And most people think, well, outreach is when you go out on the street and you minister to people. And you know what I view outreach as? Yeah, those things are all good. And we, we do them as a church. Outreach is you and I reaching out to the lost. That's what it is. That's what outreach is. If every one of us put on our our mind that there was one individual that we wanted to bring to Christ this year, and we did, and brought them to church with us, we'd have to have two services. And if you did that again next year, we'd have to have three services. And can you see how it just goes on and on and on? That's where revival comes from, it comes from us, and God wants to use you in great ways in which you're not being used. He wants to empower you, give you boldness, to do things that you didn't think you could do. He also wants to take care of issues and struggles in your life, things that you don't understand, things that you're dealing with, things that you're suffering with. But again, as I said, sometimes we don't even think to ask him for that because we don't think God cares about the little things. If this thing should show you anything, it's that God cares about the details. He cares about, he cares about the little things. And I don't know about you, but I feel little most of the time, so that means he cares about me and he cares about you. So I'm trying to prepare our hearts for the great things that God is going to do here. And it's gonna start in your life individually, and it's gonna have ramifications that are gonna go out way into this community. I can see it, I can taste it. It's not there yet, but I believe we're on the edge of that happening. So I just ask you to keep an open heart and an open mind to what God wants to do in and through you. If by chance you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior today, you made the best decision of your life, whether you're here in person or whether you're watching online. But I want to let you know we have discipleship classes here to help new believers and existing believers, I might add. I was told this morning that all of our discipleship classes are starting new next week. In other words, they've gone through it all. Now they're starting lesson one in all of these classes, whether it be first steps or next steps or the third or the fourth class that we offer. I would encourage you, if you wanna grow in your relationship with Christ and your understanding of who he is, how he operates in your life, I'd like to invite you to come to those classes. They would love to have you. I would love to see you there. Do you know my wife and daughter are going through first steps together? I think that's awesome. I love the fact that they're going and being a part of this thing. And and, and you may need to do the same thing. I would probably do the same thing if I didn't have to be here and preparing for this. And that sounds like an excuse, doesn't it? I guess I should come Ralph between nine and 10 and then come here and teach. But point is you can start at any time, but next week would be a perfect time to start because they're all starting on square one. In all of these classes, you can join at any time, but this would be an optimal time for you to do that. So I just wanted to be sure that you knew that. I also would be remiss if I didn't talk say something just briefly about the tragedy in Texas this week. Uh, and all I want to say about that is we need to be in prayer for those broken families. I can't imagine of anything more horrible than sending my child to school and them not coming home alive. And it's just unconscionable It's something that we never think would dream we would happen in our country. And yet here we are. So when you see these things on the news. Allow it to touch your heart, and allow it to put you to your knees, and to pray for those who are affected by this. We never know. It can happen at any time to any one of us. And so be be thoughtful and mindful of those families and what they're going through. I wanna go ahead and close this service in prayer, if you'd bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. I thank you that you are a God of power. I thank you that you are a God that cares about the details of our life. And Father, that you have the power to do whatever it is that you wanna do. Lord, I ask that my church family would seek you in greater ways than ever before. They would learn to understand your ways. They would trust you. They would believe in you. And they would start to think that there's nothing that cannot be accomplished with God who strengthens us. If we operated, every one of us in our life, every day of the week, what a different life we would live. What a different city we would have. And we would have to build three more buildings to house the people in this city that would come to know you. So I pray that you would use us in a mighty way. And Father, as we go our separate ways today, I pray that your Holy Spirit would go with us, guiding and directing us the steps that we take, the places we go, the, the people we hang with, the conversations that we have, that those conversations would be designed to build people up and not to tear them down pray that we will be bright lights in a very dark world and that brightness would come from your love within us shining through us so much so that people would come up to us and say what is it that's different about you and then you open that door and we share your goodness with them father i pray for a divine appointment for every one of us this week bring someone in our path who is inquisitive who is questioning wondering who god is what it is about us that is different and we would we would share with them your goodness and what you've done in our life And at a very minimum, invite them to church with us and at the maximum, lead them in the sinner's prayer so that they could come to know you. Pray that you would use each one of us this week in a very powerful way. And until we meet together again next week, Lord, I pray you'll keep us safe from any accidents that might befall us, keep us safe from any disease or illnesses that might come our way so that we can gather together again as a family and worship you in spirit and in truth. I thank you for this day. I thank you for the presence of your spirit, not just within us, but in this place that has touched hearts and lives today. We thank you, Father. We give you all glory and praise. And as we leave here, out into our mission field, the city of Red Bluff, let us go in love. I ask these things in Jesus' name, amen.